All right, go ahead and open up your Bibles to the book of Mark, chapter 14. Mark, chapter 14. The clicker is officially uh, going on to a better place. So we're going to get a new clicker this week, so my clicker is Peyton. Um, so we'll see how well he does following me. I know I tried to do this for uh, Clay the other night, and it was a disaster. I, I tried to anticipate it was, it was terrible. Um, so anyway, so we're, we're, we're taking the time um, here to, to kind of get a little recap. The time for talking is over, right? Everything that Jesus has been saying since Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi in Mark chapter 8, slide please, uh, where Jesus says, you know, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to be persecuted. I'm going to die, right? So the trap was set last week. The Sanhedrin... They were looking for an opportunity to arrest and kill Jesus, and Judas provides that opportunity. And so today we go to the outside layer of Mark's sandwich. Um, next slide here. So if you remember last week, he says, you know, the Passover is coming. It's only a couple of days away. So now this week we start in verse 12, and we see that they're preparing for it. And, and we're also going to see them partaking of the Passover um, as well. So verse 12 of our text simply says, And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb. Now let's stop here for just a second. This is roughly about a 12-hour period. It spans over two Jewish days. Now, the Jewish day started at what time? The new day. Well, yeah, twilight, right, evening. So whenever the sun goes down, that's when the new day starts. It didn't start at midnight. Uh, so here on Nisan 14, let me get my other color here. Uh, Nisan 14 is when they would slaughter the lambs, okay? And they would do this on that, on that evening of the 14th we'll talk more about that and then Nisan 15 is when you had the Passover meal and if you notice there in our text it mentions another festival not just Passover what else yeah unleavened bread and we'll talk about that in a moment as well but the feast of unleavened bread it, is, uh, it was from the Nisan 15th, started the same day as the Passover meal, and it went through the 21st. It was a, a seven-day a seven meal. Uh, go ahead and, and pump through a couple of these. This is, again, the 14th day. There's the 15th day. Go ahead and pass through one more. And then that we see how these two are uh, being brought together um, as well. Now, as far as chronological order of things... And, you know, when did they actually partake of the Passover? Was it Passover Eve when Jesus and the disciples celebrated? Was it on that day? There's, there's all kinds of fun, fun stuff that you can look at. I enjoy reading that stuff. We're not going to get into that. Uh, but if you read John's account and you read the Synoptic Gospels, you're, you're, you can get a little bit confused. Uh, but Mark is simply letting us know that it's time for preparations, right? 
uh, there are preparations that, that need to be made. And so he's simply letting us know that the festival has come and that things that are going to be said and done at this meal are going to have major, major um, effect on these disciples in being successful. Because so far, they haven't been very successful, have they? They haven't seemed to understand things. But this meal is going to be a, really a transforming type of thing. Somebody would read for us, uh, just go ahead and read verses 12 through 16. Three times in this reading. So preparations, preparations, preparations. This is, this is a very important word. So Nisan, Nisan 14, uh, on that day at, at noon, uh, people would stop working. And the head of the household, or the head of the meal, they would take the lamb for the family or friends and neighbors, and they would take it to the temple to be slaughtered. And the priests started slaughtering the animals around 3, three o'clock. Uh, and this is all still Nisan 14. And so they'd start slaughtering the lambs. They would uh, sprinkle the blood on the altar. They would offer up the fat of the lamb onto the altar. And then they would give it back. And it would be, you know, where they can go and, and roast it. Now, there was one big requirement. Does anyone know what the requirement was of eating of the lamb? Or the Passover, even? Well, you had to be Jewish. What else? Circumcised. I'm looking for something not quite detailed. Do what? Well, I guess it would still be detailed. Jerusalem. They had to eat it in Jerusalem. You, you couldn't just, like, go back somewhere else. And at that particular time, they would, uh, they would have these... Um, they would, would kind of go outside the borders a little bit of Jerusalem to accommodate. You got it? Oh, sweet. We'll see. Yeah, well, yeah we will see. Uh, so they kind of go outside of the city borders a little bit just because there's, you know, they triple in size. And, and also people who had homes in Jerusalem, they were supposed to make accommodations for people who wanted to use their, their place in order to eat the meal. Okay? So it was, it was just kind of a big thing. Now, Jesus tells these disciples about going and making these preparations, and, and he gives these mysterious and coded message, doesn't he? It's almost like a spy movie when you read it. And, and what's interesting is the way this reads is, is almost identical, uh, at least in nature, to what we found in chapter 11, when Jesus is preparing to ride into Jerusalem. Remember that? And if you were to look at those two, you see two disciples are sent. There is this coded meeting. You know, one is, go, you're going to go find a donkey. And this one is, you're going to go find a room. And, and it's like, you're going to see this man who has, uh, who's carrying water, right? Uh, I mean, it's like this mysterious thing, which, by the way, women carried water. So there was something to that. Uh, and they're told what to say and in both situations, it's exactly as Jesus predicted. There are 11 consecutive words in these two readings. So it's like, well, what, oops, sorry. Uh, it's like, what is, you know, what is he trying to tell us? It's that Jesus is in charge. Jesus knows exactly what's happening. And he knows that he's, he's going to the cross and he is coinciding his death with this meal. And, and that's very important. Um, 
as we see this, he is in harmony with God's plan. Now, we also mentioned here is the guest room. So we often think of the upper room, the guest room. It's a certain kind of place um, that people could use, uh, use a lot of things. It also tells us in our text that it was furnished. Now for us, if we say, okay, we would like to rent a place that's furnished, what we mean is it's got all the furniture. But what it meant for them, it, it actually means to, to, uh, to spread out. And it meant to spread out rugs and carpets. And they would set it up in a banquet style. Okay? So it's furnished for this banquet. It's going to be a big place uh, as well. Which may indicate to us that they would have partaken of the Lord's Supper up here. Uh, in what is known as Mount Zion which is close to the temple, but in this place, these are where excavations have been made. There have been large rooms. These are some wealthier folks in these, um, in these places. All right, let's keep moving on. Somebody read for us verses 17 through 21. Okay, Whew. all right. Passover is a, is a special meal. They are eating in a place that the disciples are not, they don't usually eat, right? This is a banquet room. This is evidently a very big room on top of that. And we also note of how nice it is because they are reclining at the table. And you probably, you know, got an idea. They, they kind of got these pillows and things like that, and they recline on one side, and they eat this meal together. Um, it would look something like this. Now, when we, think of the, when we think of the Last Supper and what it looked like, what do you think of? Yeah, Leonardo da Vinci, right? And, and I won't go into this. It's actually a great painting. <laughs> it's a beautiful painting. Is there a lot of symbolism as the mountains and all kinds? Anyway, we won't go into that. But that is historically inaccurate. <laughs> okay, that is a historically inaccurate picture. They're not sitting at a table like this. They're not sitting. They are reclining at a table as well okay uh and they may be a little bit darker than than what you see with the european people on on the left side right because they're jewish over in the middle east but anyway that's that's nowhere here nor there now while they were reclining and they were eating what does jesus say one of you is going to betray me okay now they've heard before that you know he's he's going he's got enemies they're going to oppress him they're going to kill him they didn't like to hear about it but this is the first time they've heard that it's one of one of them is involved one of them is involved right and it actually is an echo of the psalms psalm 41 and it says even my close friend in whom i trusted who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me which is a psalm about a righteous man who is being betrayed by a friend. Does Jesus tell us who it is? No. And so because of that, we see they're all sorrowful. They're sad. They're distressed. Uh, and in fact, this word sorrowful is only used twice in the Gospel of Mark. And both of those times, it is people who have... Who have um, who have failed Jesus. This other one was the rich man. Remember the rich man? He went away sorrowful because he has 
uh, because of what he's done. But there's something else they do. What else they, what else do they, how else do they respond besides sorrow? <laughs> don't you love that? You know, you don't see anybody saying, I, I bet that's Judas. You know, or I bet it's Peter. Peter's always talking. You remember that time he rebuked him in Caesarea Philippi? It, no, they're saying, is it I? And the, and the Greek form here is, is it's a negative answer. It expects a negative answer. It isn't me, is it? That's basically what, it isn't me, is it? Does Jesus give them reassurance? <laughs> Does he say, listen, John, it's not you. Don't worry. He doesn't do that. In fact, instead of letting 11 of them off the hook, he simply kind of repeats what he just said. And he said, it's one of the 12, and it's one of you who's, who's dipping in my dish, which they all would have dipped in the dish. A lot of times we think, well, that, that would just be one of two people on the side. But this was uh, in, in part of this, this festival. Now, what is happening and what Jesus is, is saying here, the accusations, is a much bigger deal than I think we often realize because eating bread with someone it barred another person from from being hostile having hostile acts against them okay table fellowship to the ancient Jews it is it's a lot different than we think of having people over to the house and sitting around a table because we can do that with our enemies Right? We can do that when we're trying to work out things with people. Um, but that was not the way it was. Eating together, it demonstrated trust. It demonstrated brotherhood and peace. And to portray the one who is, you're at his meal and he gives you his bread, that was absolutely an outrageous act. You need to understand this was more than Jesus saying, in fact, what does he say? Woe to that man. And he even says what else about him? Very good, Mike. It would have been better if this guy had never been born because this is such, uh, such an outrageous thing that is happening here. And, and it's betrayal of the Son of God. That's definitely a huge part of it. But also, it's this one that's sitting here eating with him at the table. So, let's keep going. Let's start with the bread. What would happen is uh, the head of the family would take the bread and lift it up, and they'd offer up a blessing, and then he would break it. And he would give it to the others, and what that symbolized was that each part was, each who took of it also was a part of the blessing of the bread. They, they are partaking into this, and they're blessed. So we also notice it's a certain kind of bread that's mentioned here, which we shouldn't be surprised because of what starts on 15 Nisan. And what is that? It's unleavened bread. Why unleavened bread? Yeah, well, why did they take unleavened bread out of Egypt? They were in a hurry, right? They got to leave in haste. So what, what's the deal with leaven? Why, why not? Yeah, it takes time, right? What does it take? A couple hours to rise? Is that right? I don't cook. 
uh, you know, if it's, unless it's on a grill with meat, I don't know what's happening. But, um, but my understanding is, you know, it does take some time. So the idea is that this is going to happen soon. And when it happens, you, you all need to have your bags packed and ready to go. And, and this is just how quickly. And do you remember when it happened? At what juncture? What had just happened? Yeah, the death of the firstborn males, right? Um, so Jesus takes this and he changes its meaning. And now he says it's not symbolizing leaving in haste. What does the bread represent? His body. His body that's broken. You know, it's, it's going to be treated bad. It's going to be abused. It's going to be killed. And he says, now that's what it represents. And so by Jesus taking it and saying, this is my body, and he's sharing uh, and, and eating of the bread, they are participating in what Jesus' death meant. Okay? Understand that. They, it's, this is what Jesus' death meant. Had the disciples, did they get the idea about Jesus and bread? How do we know that? Do what? How do we know that they missed the idea of Jesus and bread? Think back to his ministry. Bread of life, yes, but there's a couple of, of situations that Jesus is trying to show them that. There we go, there we go. Um, the feedings, right? And it's like, you, you hear all of that and you're wondering, it's like, well, you know, they're missing something in all of this. So in this first feeding, comes from chapter 6. Uh, Jesus tells them, look, I want you to give this multitude, these thousands of people, I want you to give them bread to eat. And, or give them something to eat. And what do they say? Well, you know, you're looking at eight months worth of labor for, for a person to be able to buy that much. Now, Jesus telling them, I want you to get 200 denarii, take up a collection, and go out and buy bread. Was, were they going to supply the bread for everybody? No, Jesus was, right? And, and you're going to see, <laughs> folks, this, is, this comes right out of our text. He takes the five loaves and the fish. He looked up to heaven. He said a blessing. He broke the loaves. He gave them to the disciples as they set before them. Folks, the, the, there, are, there are these statements that we see over and over. In, in what we just read, and also what we find in these feedings, eat, take, bless, break, give, say. All this is supposed to be a connector. And in this first feeding, this is, Jesus is in Jewish territory, okay? In chapter 6. Um, so he is, he is here, he is in this uh, Jewish territory, um, and so he, Jesus provides, right? How many baskets were left over? Twelve baskets. What do you think um, the baskets represent? 
Yes, 12 tribes. Very symbolic is what's happening here. Jews, the Jewish territory, these are the, uh, the 12 baskets, right? Uh, but then, so then as they're crossing over, um, remember there's this big storm, right? Jesus comes walking to them on the water, and he gets in, and everything stops. And you would think, wow, he walked on water. But you know what Mark tells us the response was? And they took, oh, not the 12 baskets, uh, for they did not understand about the loaves. But their hearts were hardened. That's what, that was the response of Jesus walking to them and getting in the boat. So they cross over into a second feeding that's going to happen. And it is now in Gentile territory. You may remember the story. Folks, it's weird to see that Jesus is God. He's able to do this powerful miracle, but understand that these are supposed to tell us more than that. And so Jesus says the same thing to them. You know, I want you to go feed these people bread. And what, what is their response? Oh, we're going to find enough bread in this desolate place. And if you're like me, you're like, were you not there for the last one? <laughs> you know, did Jesus expect them to go out into this desolate place and try to find enough for these thousands of people? No, who was going to provide the bread? Jesus provides the bread. And look at this again. He took the seven loaves, having given thanks, he broke them, gave them to his disciples and set them before the people and they set them before the crowd. And does anyone know how many baskets were left over? Yes, seven baskets. Seven baskets. What do you think seven represents? Yeah, perfect uh, or completion. Okay, do you see this? Jesus has fed Jews and Gentiles. He, is, he has fed the tribes. And now there is this completion thing as Jesus crosses over into this area of Gentiles, non-Jews. And, and there, is this, there is this thing that's, that's really kind of happening. Now, so, so they, they get ready to leave a little bit later on. And, um, and the disciples... We're going to see another feeding, or should have been another feeding. Maybe that's what I should say. And this time, it's the disciples. It's the disciples. And they are crossing over from the boat, and it tells us that um, they had forgotten to bring bread. But then it says, what? There's, there's one loaf, right? One loaf that they had not thought about. And, and Jesus says, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? What was the one loaf? Jesus. Folks, you've seen this. Jesus is the bread of life. Look at our text. He says, this is my body. 
This is mine. I'm the one who's here to sustain you, to give you life through my death, through, through my brokenness. Oh, it's, it's, it's such good stuff. So bread has become the symbol of Jesus' mission. Do you think they get it yet? I don't think they do. But they will. And they will, and, they, and they'll, they'll get it after the resurrection. And all of a sudden, they realize they truly have the bread of the most unusual nature. What we have is Jesus. Okay? Let's look at the cup. So, um, so in a Passover meal, and, and what Peyton and I are going to do this morning is we're, we've got a Passover meal that we're going to do for worship. Um, we're not trying to get people to start doing the Passover, but this is in the midst of a Passover meal, and there's a real reason why Jesus does this and why he does it here. And so we're just going to take you through those elements to help you see what they were and what they meant. And one of the, the aspects has to do with the cup, because the cups of Passover, they came, there were four cups, and it's all based on Exodus 6, 6, and 7. So there was the first cup, sanctification, a second cup that was raised, it was for judgment, a third cup for redemption, and the fourth cup for praise. When Jesus is now taking this cup, and he makes the statements he makes, it's during the third cup. It's the third cup. It's the one of redemption. Does anyone know what redemption means? Do what? Forgiveness, what else? Buying back, yes, uh, and it's, it's used of people who are slaves, and they are released, they are being delivered, they're bought back, and things of that sort. Yes, it's during this third cup that, that Jesus decides to, uh, to do this. Now, wine was considered the blood of the grape, okay? So, the, so you have the fruit of the vine, and you take this grape from the vine, and you crush it, and it's considered the blood of the grape. And the blood of the sacrificial animal, we know about it. It is poured out by the priest on the altar as a sin offering to atone for sins. Let me just show you. Blood, I mean, in our culture, we're just like, ew, this is, this is, but you got to understand, this is, this is where they, they come from. And it's very important to who we are. And also very important as to what Jesus does. So, you know, they dip their finger in blood, they sprinkle it, the blood on the horns of the altar, the blood they'll put at the base of the altar, and, and so forth. And so Jesus is saying that his blood is the new sacrifice that is offered to God. No more animals have to be killed. Okay? The only thing that's required is for bread to be broken and the fruit of the vine to be poured out and shared. That's now what we are to do. And, and so we don't have to shed any more blood because Jesus, he was the ultimate sacrifice, the lamb. Um, here's something, look at the text again. When did Jesus give the significance of the cup? Was it before they drank the cup or after they drank? Yeah, after. After. Now, you know, we can read this, and we, we don't think very much about this, but I want you to think, if you were a Jew, 
and you've, you know, and he gives you the cup and you drink this cup, and then he says, This is my blood. Do what? Yeah. Well, yeah. How far does it go back? Do you know? Oh, how about Genesis chapter 9? <laughs> That's before they even became a nation, and then the law also prohibited, you know, the drinking of blood, or you know, even to eat, you had to get all the blood out of an animal, because blood represented what? It represented life. Exactly, it represented life. So in Hebrew thought, the life of the creature is in the blood. So Jesus is the blood of life. A little bit ironic, even in the sense of the sacrifice, that the blood of a dead animal becomes the life of another. But that's, that's, that's a substitute, right? So I can't imagine what these disciples were thinking, and they put it up to their mouths, and they, you know, and they said, well, and Jesus said, well, this, is, this represents my blood. You know, they didn't say they do that, but I just, I, look, I almost have this sense of horror we might read it and think, oh, wow, this is so, this is just so awesome. I'm not so sure they're thinking that. I'm not so sure they're thinking that. Now, blood covenants were different. Blood covenants were different. In Exodus 24, we learn of the first covenant. And this is the one up on Mount Sinai, remember they, they've made it to Mount Sinai, they've, they've come through the wilderness, and, and they've been delivered, and God is going to make them his people. And, and so Moses comes down the mount, and he says, this is what God says, and these are the rules to be in this covenant. And, and that's when they had been given the Ten Commandments, and they had given other laws uh, during all of that as well, and said, you, go, you got to agree to do this. And they make, and, and um, Moses builds an altar, and they make uh, burnt offerings and peace offerings to Yahweh. And then it says this, And Moses took half the blood and put it in bases, half the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the blood of the covenant and read it. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people, I know, it's kind of nasty, and said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these things. If you look at your text, Jesus talks about the blood of the covenant. There's the blood of the covenant. And so the covenant, this, this blood, or is sealed, right? This covenant is sealed by animal blood. Right? Jesus is bringing a new covenant, and it's greater. And it's not sealed by animal blood. What is it sealed by? Yeah, it's sealed by Jesus' blood. Okay, you're seeing this. Folks, this comes right out of Exodus. And, and what Jesus is, uh, and, and let me say this. Oh, I think this is important. Okay, so we saw... Uh, where I said it's kind of gross. He says Moses took the blood, he threw it on the people, right? On the people. Whoops.
But the blood of Jesus is not thrown on the people, but into believers. See that? It's into us. And, and it was for who? Who is, who is the blood of Jesus? Well, let's say, let's, what is this one for? Who is it for? Yeah, Israel. What about the blood of Jesus? It's for the many. Right? It's for humanity. See that? And, and this goes all the way back to the prophecies of the suffering servant. He poured out his soul to death. He was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Jesus, by his blood, he takes on sin and transgression and evil of humanity. And he, he places upon himself. And when that happens... It supersedes the old, and a new community emerges around the table. This table is so significant. Jesus then says that he will not drink of the cup of the fruit of the vine again until when? Yeah, until he drinks it with them new in the kingdom of God. So Jesus is saying that his death is coming. The, the time for drinking wine is over. But he also says, he looks beyond his death, and he says there's going to come a time that he's going to drink it with them new in the kingdom. When does Mark say that will happen? <laughs> he doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't tell us. And, you know, we could look at several things. You know, we know that the kingdom was at hand. It's close. About time to be fulfilled. Uh, we know that there were those who were still there. They would see the kingdom that was coming. But I think all of us would say, yeah, but it hasn't come in its full completion. Uh, and, and the kingdom is something that's going to grow like a mustard seed. But maybe instead of talking, maybe he's talking about, look, once I'm resurrected, I meet with you in the upper room once again. Maybe he's talking about Revelation and the great banquet, the, um, the banquet of of the marriage feast where he he makes all things new a new heavens and a new earth not just humanity but but all things so you know we we don't know but here's what i do know is that gloom and doom it dominates the last supper one of you are going to betray me i'm getting ready to die this is my body that's going to be broken this is my blood that's going to be poured out but every time Jesus goes into this death type of thing, he ends it with vindication, doesn't he? In all of his predictions, he says, I'm going to be oppressed, I'm going to die, and then what? Raise again. And this time, we see this joy. And he says, look, the time is almost over, this death is going to happen, but I'm going to conquer it. I'm going to conquer it, and I'm going to drink it with you new. And greater than, than where it is even now. Isn't that great? Man, that's some good stuff. All right. I think it's almost time to be up. So let's go ahead and bow for a word of prayer.
Father, we come to you this, this morning and we thank you so much for your son. We just cannot thank you enough. We cannot dig deep enough into our hearts. But Father, we know that ever how this, this thing happened and, and how, you, how you change us and everything else, Father, we trust you and we thank you that you love us this much. Father, we, um, we just ask you to be with us as we get ready to worship as a community of people. And we come around your table once again and we share the, the bread and the cup. Father, may our minds and our hearts be completely laser focused upon you and for all that your son has done for us. Father, we also are mindful of others such as uh, Helen Raffle. She's not doing very well. Father, please just be with her, be with these tests that she has coming up. Father, we ask you to be with Betty Pack, who is struggling with some bed sores and, and um, some other things. And Father, we know she's had a long road ahead of her. And Father, I'm, I'm sure there are others that just have not mentioned that are either not coming to mind or I do not know. And there may be some in this room right now. And they need your peace and they need your love and, and they need the hope of, of what's to come. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.